I'm in Second Kings this morning. It's going to be on chapters, and I wanted to finish up chapter six. The chapter six is going to run over into chapter seven. So today it's going to be Second Kings chapter six, verse twenty-four through Second Kings seven and twenty. And it's on a subject that I've narrowed it, but I'm still at fifty-two pages. But luckily for you, my Computer got mixed up, did large print and extra spacing, so we're good. <laughs> but anyway, it just got so interesting, there's, I couldn't take stuff out of it. Because it's on something that myself, it, we need to study on. So I'm not believing. Can you believe that there's people that don't believe God's Word? When they tell something's going to happen, then when it happens, they still don't want to believe God's word. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And yes, that actually happens. As we continue our look into 2 Kings, we're seeing God showing how he is try, actually trying to save his people. He's offered the pictures of his redemption and his restoration only for Israel to miss what God is doing and reject his offering. I stopped and asked myself, how many times has this happened to me? Through God's word, through my life, now God shows that he's there for me, but yet I want to do it my way. Elijah was dramatically rejected by Israel's kings as well as the people. Now Elijah has also been rejected by Israel's kings and the people as I said. God has been bringing judgment against Israel just to show their covenant breaking. Just as God said that he would do in Deuteronomy. But even these actions have not weakened Israel's hearts to seek the Lord. When all they have to do is repent, return to the Lord. So in this section of 2 Kings, God's going to show what is the heart of the problem as he makes his final efforts to save his people through Elijah. Now, in chapter six, first Second Kings chapter six, verses twenty-four through thirty-three, we're going to see on dealing with a family. Now, I know we've studied some families in the Bible and heard them before, but I think to far of my study, and this is probably one of the worst families that's recorded. I mean, some of the things that's in here. Because we're going to see yet again the king of Syria attacks Israel. This time he attacked Samaria, which is the capital of Israel. They surround the city and they lay siege to it. Now for time's sake, I'm not going to read verses. So if everybody would read this and study it on your own, I'll cut that part out and let you out a little early. But it is interesting. Because as I said, they're going to surround the city of Samaria and they lay siege to it. Now this was a common form of attack. They would surround the city Cut off the supply lines and make the city starve before you mount their attacks. And this is what Syria does. They're creating a famine in the city. The, fam the famine becomes so bad that we're told that a donkey's head, just a head, were being sold for 80 shekels of silver. Now it's hard to get a sense of how bad it is. But if you remember... We were told in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 29, 1 Kings 10 and 29, that in Solomon's reign, 
A horse could be imported from Egypt for only 150 shekels. So for a little more than half that price, all you get now is a donkey's head. That tells you about the extreme inflation and the lack of food. Animals and supplies are in the city of Samaria at this time. Moses predicted this outcome in Deuteronomy 32 and warned that this would happen if they disobeyed the Lord in Deuteronomy 28. Now you may remember that during Elijah's ministry, God had given a three and a half year famine. We learned in 2 Kings chapter 8 that this famine would go and last for seven years. But the severity is clearly expressed in the next few verses. As the kingdom of Israel is walking on a wall, a woman cries out to him, Help my Lord, O king. Now look at his answer in verse 27, 2 Kings 6 and 27. And he said that the Lord do not help thee, which shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press. I think some of the virgins say threshing floor. But what he's saying here is, if the Lord would not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor, the barn floor, or from the wine press? His answer is, there is nothing that he can do. There is no food anywhere. Can you imagine waking up, your child tell you, I'm hungry. You have nothing to give them. Time for a bath when, during his family. There was just no food anywhere. This is the king who cannot save. But the king goes ahead and asks what her trouble is. Listen to what she says in verse 28. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we shall eat my son tomorrow. So we're told here that they cooked her son and ate him. But on the next day, when she went to eat her son, that lady hid her son. This is a cruel twist of the wisdom of Solomon when the kingdom began. Because remember back in Solomon's reign, there, there were two women and two sons. But one son died, and both women claimed that the living child was theirs, 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon said to divide the son in half and split it between the two women, which revealed who the real mother was, because she was not going to let that happen to the child. But here we are in the depths of despair and wickedness in Israel. And they're dividing sons to eat because of severity of the famine. When these two women and Solomon, they came to him. Solomon displayed God's great wisdom through him. All Israel understood this, that God's wisdom was coming from Solomon. 1 Kings 3 and 28. 1 Kings 3 and 28. Now we see the wisdom of Israel's king. Now in verses 30 and 31, the king of Israel tears his clothes and says that Elisha must die today. This is a great wise response. The great prophet of God must die today. He sounds just like his mother, Jezebel, who said that same thing in 1 Kings 
19 and 2, where she said that Elijah must die. The answer to Israel's problem in this king's eyes is kill God's messenger. But God is with his prophet. We've seen God give Elijah the ability to know what's in the mind of other people. 2 Kings 6 and 12. Before a messenger arrives, Elisha tells the elders who are sitting with him that this murderer has sent to take off his head. So when the messenger comes, shut the door, keep him out until the king arrives behind him. They're on a mission to kill Elisha. Now notice the thinking of the king and the messenger. This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? I want you to consider the backward thinking of what has happened in Israel that is represented by the king of Israel. The Lord has sent trouble. So what is the point of looking to the Lord any longer? Now notice the trouble happening in Israel does not call them to turn to the Lord. It doesn't make them realize, hey, I messed up. I need to return to the Lord. The trouble does not cause him to consider if he needs to repent. The trouble does not cause him to seek the Lord with his heart. The trouble means that he should just give up on God. The economic life of the nation is completely controlled by God. But rather than turning to God, they're going to leave God. Sadly, this is a common response when life becomes difficult. Rather than looking at our difficulties and turning to the Lord for help, people want to leave the Lord when they really need His help the most. Instead of relying on the Lord, praying and asking for God's guidance and God's help, they want to blame the Lord and just turn their hearts against Him. Trouble and hardship are times when we need to press into the Lord all the more and wait for the Lord to help. But the king of Israel refuses this idea and we can easily make the same mistake if we're not careful. Now we see in 2 Kings chapter 7 verses 1 and 2 the Lord's promise. So what would you expect to be the outcome for the king of Israel, whose pure intent is to kill Elisha and no longer look to the Lord for help. Look at what Elijah says to all of this in 2 Kings 7, verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 7. Then Elijah said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus said the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, two measures of barley, for a shepherd in the and in the gate of Samaria. <clears throat> so here we see that Elijah is declaring a great reversal is going to happen regarding this famine. The price would be be high, but food would be available again. Now look at the response of the king's captain in verse two. Verse two. Then then the Lord of whom. Ham the king leaned to answer the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. 
What's saying here is that he's saying that this could not happen if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. This captain goes on and says that this is complete disbelief in what Elijah's saying. What Elijah has said cannot happen in this captain's eyes. But look at Elijah's response, as I just read in the end of verse 2. You're going to see it, but you're not going to enjoy it. That leaves us thinking, now what's he mean here? How can this captain see it but not enjoy it? Glad you asked. Your unbelief is going to keep you from enjoying God's great reversal. Now think about this picture. The king is wicked and the nation worthy of the judgment of God, but God is yet again trying to get Israel to see their, he is their saving God. God is trying to generate belief in him. God is saying that tomorrow he will reverse the condition <clears throat> and the response is that God cannot do it. Well, we see in 2 Kings chapter 7, the further down in verses 3 through 20, <clears throat> the Lord's victory. It's quite a statement to make that a famine, a famine is going to have a great reversal in one day. How is food going to be available the next day? Elijah has said, this is what chapter 7 is going to explain. Our attempt is to turn to four men with lepers who are sitting outside the gates of Samaria. They are trying to figure out what to do regarding this famine. If they go into the city, they're going to die from the famine because things are no better for them inside the city. If they stay at the city gates, then they're going to die from the famine also. So let's go to the Syrians and surrender to them. If they spare our lives, then great. If they do not, it does not matter because we're going to die anyway was their train of thought. And as the sun goes down, they get up and cross over to the Syrian camp. But when they come to the edge of the camp, they found no one was there. What happened? The Syrians are surrounding this city. Verse 6 tells us that the Lord made the Syrian army hear the sound of a great army coming. So they abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. So these men with leprosy who are outsiders because of their skin condition enter the Syrian tent. They eat, drink, and start to plunder the tents. But then in verse 9, they realize that what they're doing is not right. This is a day of great news. If we wait until the next day to tell the good news, punishment will surely overtake us. We must go to the king's household now. So they go back and they tell the gatekeepers of the city that the Syrian camp have been evacuated. So the good news comes to the king. But now notice the king's response in verse 12. The king thinks that this is a trick. He said in verse 12, And the king arose in the night and said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, are they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. <clears throat> the king thinks it's a trick. We're going to go out of our camp, as he said. And he said that they're going to capture us. 
because they are lying in wait. The king orders one of his servants to take some of the men with, with the five remaining horses and find out exactly what happened. So they patrol the area all the way to the Jordan River and they find nothing but the clothing, the equipment of Syrian armor littered all, the, all, all over the place. So all the people go out and they plunder the Syrian camp. But look at verse 16. Verse 16 said, And the people went out and spoiled the tents of Syria. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. The Lord told them that it was going to happen, and <clears throat> they still didn't believe it. Here it just said that a shekel of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two sheaves of our barley were sold for a shekel, just as the Lord has said. The captain... Uh, back to his captain. I said he'd see it, but he wouldn't enjoy it. The captain who has said that it was impossible for this to happen, there is no way that God could do it, was trampled in the gates as the people rushed out to plunder the gates. Verse 17. Now remember, Elisha told him that this was going to happen because he was going to see it, but not eat it. Chapter 7, verse 2, verses 18 through 20. God is showing that he is complete control of the economic excuse me, of a nation and the military strength of a nation. In other words, God is showing that he is complete control over everything. God can bury a nation's economics or he can restore it. God can give military victory to a nation or he can make it defeated. God wants Israel to seek God's power and entrust their lives to Him. Now, the remainder of our time, I want to see how we can apply that to our lives. Because it's not putting God's Word just for a good story for us to read. We have to study and think about it and see how we can apply it to us. Now, here's the big picture. The lepers come back to the city proclaiming the good news that Israel's family tradition has been reversed in one day. The Syrians have left their camp, and everything has been left for us to take. <clears throat> this good news comes back to the king of Israel, but he does not believe the message that was given to him. Now, why does he not believe this message? We might be tempted to answer that he did not believe because this good news was so impossible to believe. How can it be that the Syrians had just got up and left all their stuff for them to plunder? But the king had been given the reason to believe. Remember the day before the king had come with his messenger to take off Elisha's head. <clears throat> the king declared that his trouble was from the Lord. There was no reason to wait for the Lord any longer. Chapter 6, verse 33, 2 Kings. Now Elijah's response was that everything was going to change tomorrow. Food would be available. The king was told this, but the next day he still did not believe the captain declared his unbelief as well and died once the good news was proclaimed. It's not shocking that God can declare in advance that he is what he is going to do and then do it. And people still do not believe. This is exactly what Isaiah was saying was going to happen regarding Jesus. The suffering servant, as described in Isaiah 53, Isaiah asked a question, Who has believed? When he has heard from us. 
The implied answer from the prophecy is that the people are not going to believe what Jesus is going to do. Even though it is told to them in that section of scripture, there is something we see God doing to his people repeatedly. Will you believe what God tells each and every one of us? Will you believe what has been declared by the Lord? If Jesus told his apostles to feed the crowds, he wanted them to believe that he could do it with only five loaves of bread and two fish. If God told Moses to feed Israel meat, he wanted Moses to believe that God can make, he can make meat rain from heaven. If God told the king of Israel that food would be available in Samaria the next day, he wanted that king to believe it. We have seen some people that have that kind of faith. We said a widow and Elijah's day believed that the flower would not run out because God had said it through Elijah. The widow and Elisha's day believed that the oil would not run out but filled as many jars as she could borrow to guide her death. Abraham believed that Isaac was the promised child that fulfilled a blessing so that he would take his son and sacrifice him. Believing the Lord would raise him up. This is the kind of belief God wants in his word. He wants each and every one of us to believe what he tells us. We are to believe what God has said. God said he would save us and bring us into eternity and then offer his son as he promised to make this possible. We are not to remain in unbelief about salvation and eternity. We are to believe what God has said. This is the way the writer of Hebrews puts this important truth to us. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. He guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. Hebrews 6, 17 and 18. God is telling us that he wants to prove to you that he that you can believe him. God does not want us to fail from unbelief. Elijah said that the food situation would change tomorrow. They did not believe it. The good news is reported that Sarah had left and they still didn't believe it. The question we have to think is, what will you not believe that God has done for you? Do you believe that your sins have been forgiven? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that God listens and answers your prayers? Do you believe that God would never leave you or forsake you? Do you, as we continue our look in the sight of kings, we're seeing God showing how he is trying to save his people, offering him pictures of his redemption and his restoration, only for Israel to miss what God is doing and reject his offer. Elijah was dramatically rejected by Israel's king as well as the people of Seth. Elijah has been rejected by Israel's king and all the people. God has been bringing this judgment against Israel, as I said earlier, to show their breaking of the covenant. But even these actions have not awakened the hearts of these people or these kings to seek the Lord. 
We see him. With this famine going on, so strong as it was, the severe death of said is, is clearly exposed when we find out that only a donkey's head was two shekels. And then we see where the two women was bartering to eat each other's son. And of course the one didn't. God said he would take care of each and every one of us. But we see instead of accepting it, turning there and realizing that they need what they need to do is turn to the Lord. Repent of their sins. They wanted to turn further against the Lord. So what we need to consider, as I said here, is the fact we're thinking of the Lord of this this king. When we're faced with trying times, we have to turn our hearts and our minds back to God. We have to realize that God is in control and he will take care of us. We've seen in uh, chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, the Lord's promise. That promise is made to each and every one of us. We've seen the Lord's victory in 7, 3 through 20. When he made the Syrian army to disappear. So now, if you're faced with trying in difficult times, we have to ask ourselves, what is there in my life that I need to get repentance of? How do I get my hearts and our minds right with God. So in closing, the severely is clearly expressed in these verses that I just talked to you about. The severity of us dying in the wrong relationship with God. So the question I want to ask you is, have your, do you believe that your sins have been forgiven? As I ask you before, do you believe that God loves you? He's here for you. Do you believe that God can change your life? Do you believe that He can change everything tomorrow? Do you believe that God accomplishes purpose through you? All of these things have been repeatedly stated by God. We just need to believe. Allowing God's word to erase our doubts and our unbelief. We need to take a strong encouragement from the God's word. Encourage the hope that is set before us. Believe in eternity. But my question, do you believe that there is a judgment? Do you believe that God can change your life? Do you believe that all you have to do is repent of your sins and ask God to come into your lives? So as we prepare and stand to sing our song of encouragement, I want you to look at ourselves. If there's any reason that you don't feel like your relationship is where it should be with God, I ask you to come forward at this time.
We stand and sing our song of invitation.